This episode is brought to you by The Slumber Number. Are you having trouble sleeping? Then you should switch out your old mattress and upgrade to The Slumber Number. You've never had a better night's sleep, and it'll stop you from indulging in those late-night cravings. So upgrade your mattress today. Let's get into the show. Hello, hello, welcome to the Spectre Cinema Club, a podcast obsessed with subgenres and horror films. I am one of your hosts, Devon Taylor, and of course, joining with me as always, I got Gary McDowell. And I am the other host, the co-host, as it were. But yeah, glad to be back, glad to be talking more cannibal movies, yum, yum, yum. Yeah, you know, we just, we're just eating them up, and uh, right. I like that uh, we're kind of going, um, the, this one is a nice segue from the Neon Demons, we kind of are staying in the... Um, the starving artist category, um, if you will. Um, yeah. So I'm excited to get into it, but we do have a guest joining us for this episode. Uh, he is one of the hosts of the Certified Forgotten podcast. We had his co-host uh, Matt Donato on a few months ago talking Shiva Baby. And now we have the other half, Mr. Matt Monagle. Welcome to the show. Thank you. You know, it's kind of interesting that if you listen to certified forgotten you know that my reputation is like i watch a lot of anxiety inducing stress films and donato watches a lot of horror comedies and yet here we are in your show where i'm bringing a horror comedy and he brought the stress inducing anxiety film so (laughs) real yeah weird role reversal happening right now i like it i like it but that's you know uh i I don't know about you i i I do that on like other podcasts too i kind of take the opportunity and be like okay well let me go ahead and do the things that like i obviously like don't usually do on my pod switch it up you know keep people Mm -hmm. guessing so i I like that um everybody on their toes and you yeah i don't want to be nobody can put me in a corner i've got i i have diverse tastes everybody should see the full breadth of my ability to enjoy horror (laughs) he has range people and um, before we get into your choice, uh, we're going to be talking Eddie, the sleepwalking cannibal today. Uh, what are your overall thoughts on cannibal movies? Like, uh, how do you see cannibals? Like, are they are they kind of monsters to you? What uh, what kind of themes do you see represented in uh, cannibal movies that you enjoy? Yeah, so I, uh, I, I am a big fan of cannibal movies. I have exactly one tattoo, and it's a tattoo of the scene from Ravenous where Guy Pierce's character jumps off the cliff. So obviously I've got a deep and abiding love for uh, horror horror movies, cannibal movies in particular. They tend to be, um, some of the better ones tend to be about consumerism. They tend to be about exploitation and they, they're, they're very literal metaphors for, you know, the zero sum game that we're all playing, which means that like more for me could mean less from you. And yeah, there's ones that are just sort of, you know, silly and, and funny and goopy and gross, but you mentioned Neon Demon earlier, and I know that, you know, Ravenous is another great example. A lot of the best horror movies, a lot of the best cannibal movies kind of play with this idea um, that we're all sort of in it for ourselves. And we will literally eat somebody else if it means some sort of a benefit for us. So ripe for social commentary. And honestly, usually a lot of fun, too. You can you, you end up with some really fun gore uh, when you're dealing with people that eat other people. Shocking, I know. I really like that. Uh, uh, again, like kind of going back to back with uh, this and the Neon Demon, I really do like that um, that uh, continuing theme of like, yeah, like uh, 
Oh, it, you know, you're, you're trying to always, you know, feed yourself at the end of the day, you know, um, you know, as even, and as we'll kind of see in uh, this movie, you know, as much as like, you know, a lot of people want to, you know, even the best of people that, you know, put themselves as, you know, I'm always looking out for other people and like, I'm doing this and but, I'm like, but then you ask, I'm like, you know, but at the end of the day, our, uh, if, if you're starving in the in the cold and you got one leg, you know what? what who's who's eating that leg? You know, mm-hmm. like who who knows? Um, so I kind of like that. I do think, yeah, Devon. If you and I were trapped in some sort of situation where we had to eat each other, I think my legs are a little bigger than yours. So I, I think my legs would be the first to go. That would last us probably like a good long week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think you do have the calves on me. So so sorry, sorry, Garrett. We we are going to have to take <laughs> your it. legs. Unfortunately, um, you guys are planning a very egalitarian donor party. I really appreciate the camaraderie <laughs> I'm seeing on screen right now. Yeah, we're getting it settled beforehand. No, no awkward conversations here on this podcast. Yeah, that would be like another LA dinner party gone wrong. I was category. about to say, uh, just... <laughs> I was about to say, Gary, like you're, because uh, you're coming up on your one year uh, in LA. Now, now you're, uh, now we're already planning on cannibalistic hiking trips together. So LA has changed you, man. I'm a different person. I'm unrecognizable. But yeah, um, officially, I've actually passed the one year uh, as of this past September. So I'm practically a veteran, practically local. Oh, no, it's three years. Ask any ask any uh, L.A. person. It's uh, three years is apparently uh, the, the rubric. I, I'm there, but you, you still got some time to come. Um, just a baby. Just, just, just a little bit. But uh, let's go ahead and uh, sleepwalk into our movie for today's episode. The Sleepwalking Cannibal, released in 2013. Uh, the release date was hard for this one because it had a Denmark date. It had like three different American dates. I don't know. Directed by Boris Rodriguez. It was uh, written by Rodriguez, Alex Epstein, and Jonathan Ronalds. Uh, score done by David Burns, uh, a very dramatic one and uh, very whimsical that uh, I'm excited to kind of get into for that one. Uh, the cinematography was done by Philippe Tress, edited by Sarah Bogue. Um, it, this was a, a, a very tiny movie, so it was kind of hard to get uh, really any behind the scenes or box office information about it. Um, only 19 reviews on Rotten Tomatoes has it sitting at a 58%, so this uh, would not make the rubric for uh, Certified Forgotten on your guys' podcast. You guys are 10 reviews and under now, correct? Correct. It was five, but inflation. So, yeah, but but inflation, of course. <laughs> um, uh, and so yeah, has it sitting at fifty eight percent currently? Uh, Voice of the People over on Letterbox, average rating two point nine out of five, just under. Uh, making that uh fresh rating on Letterbox, uh, just just underneath it. But uh, I'm actually kind of surprised by how low both of those are. Um, and of course, uh, we're talking, you know, we're continuing our conversation on cannibals, uh, again, kind of, uh, that, you know, overly ambitious, uh, starving artist uh, trope. And then we got some, uh, small town drama, fish out of water stuff going on as well. Um, but, uh, what made you want to talk about this movie today, Matt? So this, um, Released in 2013, I saw it in 2012 at that year's Tribeca Film Festival. It was the very first film festival I ever covered. Uh, I'd been in New York City for six months uh, at that point. I had just moved there, and a publication that I was writing for at the time was like, hey, we've been offered you know, a badge, and some other folks can't go. Would you be interested in covering their horror section? And I said, absolutely. So this was the very, very first film festival I ever covered. 
this was the very first filmmaker interview I ever did. Um, the, I think the, actually, I think that the interview is dead now because that site died. So that you can't find it anywhere, but I talked to director Boris Rodriguez and actor Dylan Smith about their experience in making the film. I, I can't imagine <laughs> that the interview was any good, uh, but it was a very formative experience for me in terms of like seeing something, having to like think about it critically, knowing that I was going to be talking to the creators about it. And the reason that I brought it on this podcast is I just think this movie is delightful. Like, I think that this is such a fun and sweet and, you know, obviously a little gory, but like, as far as horror comedies go, I often talk a lot of shit about horror comedies because I think that they do a really bad job of, of balancing horror and comedy. That's a line where eventually about a third half of the way into any horror comedy, they kind of stop doing the comedy thing and go towards horror because they have to. And I think that Eddie the Sleepwalking Cannibal, for a variety of reasons, is probably one of the best examples of a horror comedy I've ever seen that maintains momentum, maintains that balance um, for its full runtime. So I love it. I'm always shocked when I see the low ratings on Rotten Tomatoes and Letterboxd because I think that this, I think this is, uh, if this movie had a different title, I think people might feel a little bit differently about it. Hmm. Fascinating. Um, and I love that this is uh, one of those movies for you. I can definitely remember like pretty much every movie I saw at my first film festival whenever I mm -hmm. uh, first went to um, the, the very first Overlook Film Festival. I can literally name pretty much every movie that I saw there. And uh, yeah, there's, so there is something uh, something magical about that. Garrett, what was uh, the first movie you remember like covering as far as um, reviewing or like once you like started like going to like seeing movies early yeah. and things like that? Well, I, I, I have covered uh, a few film festivals, but the very first one that I ever did was, uh, I believe, 2017's the South by Southwest Film Festival. That was the first time I ever got press badges for literally anything, and I was still mm -hmm. in college, so that was, like, super exciting. Um, but, yeah, I remember going to see, like, as many South by, if you guys have ever been to it, they have, like, a special Midnight's category, which is either uh, horror films or horror comedy or just, like, dark comedies. Uh, but I remember trying to go see all of those as I possibly Possibly could and uh, I was really dedicated to trying to cover every single thing so that was always uh, really really great so yeah the the you never forget your first and yeah. <laughs> film festivals are, are always such uh, such a fun time especially genre ones and mm -hmm. being able to be surrounded by uh, horror fans it's not like a brick and mortar film festival out here in LA but every year they do Beyond Fest which is always great because you always get this like big batch of horror movies and all of these LA weirdos come together and you always see friends and people there and going to see whatever weird horror movie that you're going to see so yeah that's 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 really great that this was this was one for you because and I'm sure we'll get into it this was a movie that I wasn't terribly aware of like I didn't I had seen it and heard about it uh, in preparation for looking up for uh, and deciding you know films to talk about for this month and this was one that uh was yeah it was, it was quite lost on me so i'm glad it, it had that uh, special place in your heart we are living up when when Donato and i travel we travel with the certified forgotten ethos in our heart so it's got to be something that fell through the cracks at a film festival that's always what we like to talk about on our show totally and this this is i mean it doesn't hit the criteria for us but this is i think the epitome of that i saw something at a film festival it really left an impression on me and then it's just fucking gone for 100 i totally get that yeah and that's always a shame when something like that happens but it's also kind of like 
as a, a film journalist, it's always also one of my favorite things to be able to see a movie like that and then just tell everyone you know, like, oh, you've got to go see the, the, you know, whatever movie this is or when you when it comes out, really, really hyping that up. Devon and I talked about it recently, but Art of Self-Defense was like that for me, where mm-hmm. I saw that at a South By. And in the weeks leading up, I was like, everybody, go see this movie. It's fucking weird and awesome, you know? <laughs> uh, I 100% agree on, um, you know, being, because I had never, I'd never even heard of this movie and I love, um, you know, the ones that, you know, fall through the cracks that you know because there's always the ones that make the headlines and there's the ones that like you know still like kind of have to find their own scrappy little way of getting distributed you know um so so i like um you know finding these ones that that definitely wouldn't have uh heard of either way and uh so before we get into more of the movie uh one if you guys haven't seen it 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 is available uh for free currently on uh on Tubi or on uh Amazon Freebie or no not Amazon Freebie uh just Tubi but um so go ahead and watch the movie if you haven't seen it we're getting to spoilers uh Matt are you prepared for your sixty second synopsis I am I wrote it down and everything all righty see we we love the different approaches you know some people go you know come in nice and prepared some people go in off the dome uh so let's see what you got here in three two one go lars is the art world equivalent of a one-hit wonder once considered a genius it's now been years since he sold a painting but when he takes a teaching gig in the small town of coda lake lars discovers his muse in the form of eddie a gentle mute who as the title suggests is prone to the occasional human-shaped midnight snack soon lars realizes all that is standing between him and a return to stardom is a willingness to keep eddie fed boom oh wow did it so you don't we, need the whole 60 seconds. Yeah, you, you can, no. if you do it right, you can do it like 20, 15. You're good. Exactly. <laughs> and we, again, yeah, we, uh, you know, Garrett's always been the, he likes to use up his whole time uh, in, in some approach. But uh, I, I like a return to uh, some, of the, some of the faster ones as well. Uh, you were just uh, 25 seconds on that one. So nice. Very impressive. Very impressive. I mean, well, it, less, less time describing the, like, what the movie's about. More time we get to spend talking about why the movie's great. Uh, yeah, makes sense. Makes I mean, sense. and I think it's uh, proportional to the runtime for this one because again, this mm-hmm. is a uh, uh, eighty-two minutes. Um, uh, by the time the the credits hit, so very, uh, very nice. It's in and out very quickly. Um, but it does, um, you know, cover uh, a lot of ground as far as again, like uh, some of the subgenre stuff going on in here. Um, you know, we have the you know some of the horror comedy that we'll we'll kind of get into with some of the the tone stuff here. And, uh, you know, it fits in um, having having this uh, small town drama, you know, of, you know, these these people are intimidated by Lars thinking he's a pretentious artist and he's coming in to to be a snob when really he's he's coming to teach because he uh, just doesn't got it anymore. So I like the uh, the the little bit of drama stuff there. Um, Garrett, uh, had you watched this movie before or was this your first time? Yeah, like I said, this was a total a total discovery for me. Um, I had just uh, I was vaguely aware of the movie, but going into it, I really knew nothing other than the uh, title of the film. Uh, I didn't know any really plot stuff or genre stuff. Even obviously knew it was a a genre piece, being this is a horror podcast. But I didn't know that this would also be 
um, kind of a uh, very deadpan, like the deadest of pan comedies. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, nowhere near as silly as, as you had mentioned, kind of the title would lead you to believe. Yeah. Um, it's pretty straight down the middle, uh, in the middle, uh, but also this layer of satire to it, almost a little bit of cynicism, but also this really sweet quality to the movie as well. So that was was a real surprise, as was this movie. Like you had mentioned, this is not maybe the most favorably seen thing on Letterboxd. It didn't have like a super high rating. And this was something that I had was watching it. And I was like, I'm surprised that this hasn't found the niche of like this even the people who have seen this, which Mm -hmm. in and of itself is a niche. (laughs) The the niche of those people even more so who really like this movie and want to champion it uh, based on the, the, you know, the average rating and stuff. I'm sure those people are there, but they're seemingly few and far between. But now that I've seen it, you can count me in that. Uh, I thought this movie was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed this. Yeah. It's, I, I, I hate to, I hate to put it on the title, but I think that when you have a title like Eddie, the sweep, sleepwalking cannibal, it suggests a certain amount of like, grindhouse exploitation especially in the era that it was coming out where people were going through and making um or revisiting like 70s exploitation that had become popular because of grindhouse around the era so we yeah. just kind of hit this wave of stuff where people were like oh like 70s video nasties 80s video nasties are back and that has the title eddie the sleepwalking cannibal of something that seems farcical and like ridiculous but instead it's actually this sort of i i I'm going to use the word sweet again. It's this really sort of sweet story about a friendship and a guy who's lost it and is willing to do pretty horrible things to get it back because he's part of an art world where his self-worth is evaluated based on his ability to produce. Mm -hmm. It's got so much, uh, Garrett, you said cynicism. It's got so much running cynicism about what it means to exist in artistic spaces. Mm -hmm. And I just, it's just, you know, it, it, the comparison piece it gets a lot and the word the film that the filmmakers used during their you know the, the year that it was on the festival circuit uh as a comparison point is fargo and i think that's a pretty good one i think it's a pretty obvious one but i think it's a pretty good one if you go into this thinking fargo you're going to be really happy but if you go into this thinking 70s video nasty 80 video nasty and it's doing all this other stuff it's not the it's not that you know people are going to like hate it or the people are, aren't sophisticated enough to appreciate it. It's just, that's not what they were in the mood for. They put this on when they were mm. thinking of something else. And I don't, I don't blame them for thinking this isn't the movie that I wanted to see. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Cause uh, yeah, I, cause I think about movie titles quite often, uh, AKA I complain about them on Twitter a lot uh, mm. about the like very simple ones, you know? Um, yeah. And, and I think uh, it, it's interesting with this one cause uh, I, I do see a little bit of like, yeah, somebody could definitely see that. And I think it's more like kind of B movie territory in some way. Um, but then it's like, uh, if you, you know, even just watch like a little bit of the movie, then it's like, or even if I, I feel like if you would read the synopsis, it like kind of makes sense because it, to distinguish it is Eddie semicolon, the sleep who can Campbell. So like for me, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that's like presented like a painting or like a, uh, you know, somebody when they name a piece of art, they like say the thing semicolon with, you know, something behind it. So, so, um, you know, in the context of the movie, it makes sense, I suppose. But yeah, if you're uh, just kind of seeing it and, uh, and it also kind of gives off a, you know, different pretense that, cause the movie's not really about Eddie. I mean, it is, but it's, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, when you, cause yeah, I, I was thinking like, okay, like this is going to kind of, um, be following. Yeah. Like more, 
uh, Eddie the character and like kind of or maybe like a more of a co-lead like type thing. And uh, yeah, th- this movie, I this was a first time watch for me. I enjoyed it uh, for sure. Um, I think I would have uh, I, I like the whimsical tone to it. And it does kind of have, um, you know, some of the shades of what you're saying. And uh, for me, um, I but as a horror comedy, I think I uh, this um uh, funny enough, because I did just watch like Duel the other day, which is like one of the driest of comedies I've seen in a while. But um, the the comedy in this one didn't quite hit for me. Um, I mean, mm. some of the jokes did, but like, I don't know, I just feel like it also wasn't trying to be as funny. It just uh, kind of just had that like slight off kilter tone to it, uh, which I appreciated. And it was a fascinating movie. And, um, you know, it is dealing with this artist that is, again, like trying to you know, get that, get that feeling back. You know, he's only kind of inspired by these, uh, you know, acts of violence. And then it, it, and then it's also like, you know, people uh, kind of using each other under these kind of guys as a fake niceness, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, and uh, you know, the, the, the way that the people kind of, you know, are, uh, you know, Lars, you know, sees them manipulating Eddie in one way, but then he also starts to manipulate him as well. And mm-hmm. uh, and it, and it's a uh, it's a tough uh, you know it, it was actually tougher themes that I I wasn't expecting to be grappling with whenever I was gonna be watching this because you know there there is also the hints of you know a mentally handicapped person and people exploiting that and and at first I was like ooh do I like that we're you know gonna put make him the cannibal you know versus like someone else. Um, but then the way that the movie um, does, you know, call itself out on these things, especially by the way it wraps up at the end, um, it, you know, it, it definitely knows that it is like tackling this uh, kind of tough theme of, you know, uh, exploiting and how that, you know, plays into art quite often. Uh, so sorry, everybody. Harley is also here. Uh, early listeners of the podcast uh, know about Harley. Uh, he's a little more vocal than Cal. So that's all the extra <laughs> breathing you're hearing in the background. Uh, this episode it's not me i promise <laughs> yeah garrett's just in his corner just, just huffing <laughs> yeah no so the so yeah we'll have a, a little extra background noise but what can you do people uh it, your sons you love them um, <laughs> but but yeah so um uh what are uh, some other subject on stuff that uh really stuck out to you here in this one matt um, I think there's a couple of different things. First of all, I want to say, I'm glad you talk a little bit about just as an aside, I'm glad you talk a little bit about the treatment of Eddie, because I think there are elements of this that certainly haven't aged well, or should never have, you know, uh, we're, we're never that great to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, they do walk a really fine line between making fun of Eddie as a person with a disability and also sort of making fun of everybody for making fun of Eddie. So this is not a film I think that's going to work uh, for everyone, nor should it. So I will throw that in as a content mm-hmm. warning as well. You know, I, I think it balances it just correctly, but I am not somebody with a disability. And so that's not necessarily my judgment call to make. Um, but what Dylan uh, Smith does with the character, I think is really interesting. So that aside, um, you know, I think there's a couple of different things going on here that are super interesting to me. Um, you know, I think that there are, there's a fine tradition in cinema of the artist uh, and the art and obsession, right? Like there's shade, there's a little shades of like Amadeus in this in somebody who is not as talented um, and is obsessed with the idea of talent and is willing to do whatever they can do to overcome their own perceived mediocrity. I see this kind of in the same light that I also see films like the perfection, which is mm. a really, really good recent, another personal favorite of mine, but 
uh, a, a, I think it was 2019, 2018 Netflix title that deals with sort of the trauma that's embedded in the, you know, what it takes to become mm -hmm. a, an artist of this caliber, right? Because there's, you know, every, every person on LinkedIn likes to share some sort of motivational story about the thousands of hours you need to become an artist. And, you know, we kind of like treat that as it's great that there is this, you know, teenage violin player who has had no social life and has spent 16 years effectively like bleeding their fingers out. Like all of these mythical, all these stories of these great artists are always baked a little bit into child abuse. There's always a little bit of that, like, oh, mm -hmm. they were a child genius. And so their family like shuttered them away from the rest of the world. And all they did was write music for 40 years. And you're like, that's not a great, that's not an aspirational thing to look up to. So yeah. I think it deals a little bit with this, with these like the history and the weight of artistry and kind of the stories that we tell and what we get wrong about them in a really interesting way. Uh, in terms of subgenres of other subgenres of horror, I mean, I think there's a little bit of, um, you know, of uh, I think this is a good parallel piece to a film like Tucker and Dale versus Evil in that it is sort of allowing misunderstandings and miscommunications to drive the comedy. So it doesn't ever feel you know, like the joke is on any particular characters mm -hmm. um, in that it's more about the situations that they find them in, which I think is just such a, a it's a better, more likable way to do horror comedy rather than putting somebody at the butt of the joke. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's just, there's a lot of fun, different things happening in here. Yeah. I think to build off of what Matt said, I'm, I'm glad you acknowledge some of the uh, perhaps like perceived ableism in the movie obviously is, is, is definitely there, but I don't think that the film is being like, yeah, you know, right. <laughs> calling people slurs is not obviously great. Um, but I, you know, I, with the same caveat of you as, as I also am not a mentally handicapped person. So who am I to say, but I, I, I don't think that the film for a moment is, is condoning that type of activity. And it's also doing the, your classic sort of uh, you know fr the frankenstein's monsters not the actual monster it's people right. that are the monster so it, right, it's right. it's obviously playing with with some of that stuff to where yes eddie is going out into the middle of the night and in eating people but also i think that the film is saying something about how we help people who perhaps mm, yes. are at some sort of mental disadvantage to others or require maybe certain attention um, in, in order to give them the best advantage and the best tools that they have and not uh, one just kind of you know exploiting them for your own uh your own goals and your own aspirations uh but not also not uh, manipulating these people or, or using them in in any sort of way so yeah, i think that the film not only has a lot of the the artistic questions that uh matt had had brought up but is also has this whole other kind of sociopolitical angle which is mm -hmm. tied up and you had asked about the subgenres tied up in this Again, deadpan, like small town um, sort of, uh, uh, you know, body horror, not in like in a Cronenbergian way, but as far as like, oh, you're, you know, there's severed limbs and stuff on the ground and, the, you know, this kind of gross out horror um, cannibal movie. It's it's such a strange, such a strange product that on one hand, I'm like, you know, big piggybacking off what I was saying earlier, as far as like, I'm so surprised that this hasn't found like a small pocket of people who really love this movie. But then I'm also kind of like, yeah, this is a weird one, you know, yeah. like I'm not at all surprised because I, I think in 
Devon had mentioned it, and even just kind of like perusing some of these letterboxed reviews, a lot of people are like, I thought it would be funnier. I thought it would be gorier. I thought there would be maybe more cannibalism Mm -hmm. stuff in this movie, which I think is interesting that this movie, you can't go into it with sort of expectations of what you think it should be or what you think it even could be, because that's not that. You kind of have to meet it where it is and just appreciate maybe what's there rather than what isn't there or what you would prefer maybe to be there. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a really fascinating case study. I could understand why people would really not like this one, but uh, I, I appreciate the the bizarre quality that this movie has uh, on top of like a lot of the, I, I think, ideas and themes that this small but mighty movie uh, brings up here. Yeah, and I'll add to that, uh, Garrett, if I can. I think for me, the best part of the film, the thing that like locks in the tone is there's a running joke throughout the movie, which I think is just maybe my one of my favorite bits I've ever seen in a horror film, which is NPR on in the background or local public radio on in the background. And they're yeah. describing all of these scenes from operas that are horrifically fucking violent, like mm-hmm. people throwing their kids into volcanoes or like peeling their flesh off and like things that we consider like these are great classic works of art. Mm-hmm. And the the radio host is describing the scene in which the song takes place and then just like sighing so basically and being like isn't this just so wonderful mm-hmm. it's like that I- that idea of like the horrors baked into art that we're just sort of like yeah of course it is because it's genius if the in the first scene in the movie when lars driving into town and that is playing on the radio like mm-hmm. that's one of those like you get it or you don't when that first thing comes on the radio and they're like in the scene in the opera like the mother blah 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 that that's kind of like for me that's the bellwether like if you hear that and you'd be like oh i get i'm on this movie's wavelength you're gonna have a great time and if Mm. that doesn't work for you yeah yeah it's gonna it's gonna be a lot more of that and 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 that and that radio thing too you know uh does it's not only like a funny bit but it also like very much connects the film like uh thematically through Mm -hmm. through scene to scene as well like kind of uh, where Lars is like kind of feeling at the moment. I, uh, the very first one, it, it says you can't. Uh, he's at the end. He says you can't wait for inspiration. Sometimes you have to go at it with a club. <laughs> and they like nervously laughs afterwards. And like mm-hmm. that, like kind of. I was like, okay, so like that's kind of uh, like you said, uh, it was a tone setter. But then like also like was like kind of like a a thesis statement of like kind of mm-hmm. some of the some of the things that we're gonna kind of go on into and and uh, the the you know different parallels of art and um the 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 idea that you know um that you must suffer for art you know like you know there's always been this idea that like you know because we're we're so used to hearing these stories like you said of like you know these sensationalized story or not sensationalized but stories that are horrific but are uh but are you know hyped or or are told to be like no like that's you know it adds into the 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 mythos of that artist you know that they were yeah you know like the mm-hmm. whatever that they were suffering through um and so so you know because uh with, with Lars our main character here um he um apparently you know he got really good at his art after this accident he had this accident then he like had this like big thing and then but then nothing bad happened to him for 10 years i suppose you know and then so he um so it's like a a kind of a very literal play on it um with you know his um you know uh uh, inspiration being you know seeing these horrific images and and uh, and I even there's a even a, another like you know trope or cliche that uh, uh, was pointed out to me in a horror queers patreon episode but now that but I was like yeah that totally is a thing is um if uh, if you hit a deer at the beginning of a of a movie 
Um, you know, um, not only does it, it, you know, you're, you're not in for a good time because it's usually when they're going on a trip on vacation or in this guy's case, it's him moving into a new town. Um, so if you, so if you hit a deer, uh, you might want to just go back to wherever you were coming from because, uh, bad Mm -hmm. things are in your future. But I like how they also use this cliche though, um, to like, you know, because I feel like, um, every person's reaction to that scenario, um, you know, kind of says something about them, um, informs that character a little bit. And we see at the beginning, instead of like him, like kind of hesitating, he knows, uh, you know, he hits the deer and then sees it in pain and then, you know, wants to be like, okay, he, you know, is going to put it out of its misery and he doesn't hesitate about it. You know, some characters like, oh no, I, I can't. But then somebody usually has to talk him into it. He does it, but then he keeps going, you know, because, um, and they, he like kind of has this moment. Um, so like even using a like cliche, uh, you know, it, they use it effectively to do it. And I only keep saying cliche because later on when he, uh, criticizes someone else's, uh, sculpture, um, he's like, oh yeah, well, I mean, you're playing around with cliches. There's no originality, blah, blah, blah. So, um, uh, the, the movie is, you know, aware of, uh, some of these, uh, tropes that they're playing with, which I appreciate. Yeah. I think it's, oh, go ahead, Matt. Well, I was going to say, and because, you know, basically the point of the movie is that, you know, he builds up a tolerance to the horrors that he sees and he needs to like escalate in order to spark that creative genius. Mm-hmm. It also enters, you know, it, it allows for a really fun conversation about addiction too. And kind of like the diminishing returns that he gets and the needs to, to you know, chase a bigger, bigger mm-hmm. high every mm-hmm. single time he's going through because otherwise, you know, the deer gets him so far, but then it's like a dead rabbit. But like then the rabbit only does him so far and then he has to like, convince eddie to kill and kill and then like the 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 scenes get more and more spectacular until we get kind of to the end of the film um and i think that there is you know i i think it's it it slots itself into movies about addiction in interesting and sort of fun Mm -hmm. ways as well i I think it's having like a fun laugh at artists too you know of uh you know because it, it, it's not only enough to like show it in like, you know, like, you know, having the escalating events, but like the, the movie also like poking fun at like when they literally have lines of them being like, yeah, it's a rush. It's an addiction. You know, so it's like I feel like they're even like kind of having a laugh at uh, the, the pretension of artists at times, you know, of, um, you know, like, uh, of you know, them uh, doing it in that way. But then also because I feel like. I don't know. Like for me personally, I feel like this might be more effective if it was like kind of straight and serious for me personally, just because like the the comedy itself didn't quite do it. Um, uh, Matt, it was funny. You mentioned that uh, horror comedies kind of frustrate you because, you know, they're kind of going for this balance. And uh, I, I have a, I guess, a weird opinion that like I, I always like them to like kind of lean one way or the other a little bit more and I kind of struggle with the ones that are more down the middle. Yeah. I, I mean, if I were to compare this and I know that's, that's part of what y'all do is, is the equation at the end. Mm-hmm. But I think that if I were to try and hook somebody on this, the way that I might do that is to compare it to a little shop of horrors, because I think that like Thor Lindhart is by the way, like an incredibly well-decorated Danish actor, like, like a, a institution in his native country. Um, which is self-evident because he's an incredibly talented and he gives a very nuanced performance. But part of what makes it work for me in the same way that Little Shop works is this sort of like meek, mild-mannered person who stumbles into something horrible that allows him to grow in fame and popularity and attract the attention of the woman that he likes. And it's a very, it's a very sort of similar story. But I think 
this the silliness of that scenario for me requires a little bit more of a comedic edge because I think it it needs to be like the story that they put out here is inherently sort of silly. And in order for that that to work, for me, I think you need to kind of keep that comedy a little balanced in. I mean, there's probably a very good version of this story that is also a straight version of the story, but I think that you would lose sort of, you would run the risk for me of maybe being too self-serious about the art world when this movie also sort of wants to, you know, poke fun at the art world as it's going. So it's, again, it's like, it's com- it's a complex tone. And I am continually, every time I rewatch this, I'm continually struck by how well they're trying to do four or five different things and have it feel cohesive. I, I haven't seen, you know, even great horror comedies. Some of the best core hom- horror comedies that I've seen are really only trying to do like one or two things. Um, and they're doing it really well. So yeah, it's, it's, I, I see what you mean about the idea that like, could this have been more impactful, but I don't know. It's, it's the secret sauce for me. It's just everything mixed together that makes it so beautiful. Well, I like jumping off what you said and what you guys were just saying, I think the film in and of itself is having a conversation about that very thing. As far as not saying that Devon is saying this and just like my brief kind of uh, gazing over the the letterboxed reviews of people just being like, man, I thought there would be more cannibal stuff. I thought this would be a little gorier. Mm-hmm. I think that the film, in talking about like the addiction side of things, is also kind of commenting on itself and its own kind of approach to this to this genre in that we are at a time to where genre fans are getting like truly heinous shit on you know on television even stuff that like back in the 70s or the 60s would be blacklisted and it wouldn't be allowed to come out in certain countries and that just as a society there's so much horrible things happening in the real world what's somebody getting their arm you know chopped off and being eaten by somebody like it's nowhere near as terrifying as some of the things that were you know capturing audiences back in the in the mid 60s or something Mm -hmm. so i think that there is obviously the addiction side of things. I think that's the first and foremost, but it's also just commenting on us as uh, I think a movie going audience too. And the, mm-hmm. and the type of things that we expect to see in movies like this. And as far as like the packaging of it, or, you know, I'm not even going to act like maybe even I also thought it would, you know, would be a little funnier, not to say that it needs to be or should be. It's just more of an expectation mm-hmm. things. And it's the like, who's to say it needs to be funnier maybe it's as funny as it needs to be and you know like why not you devon but like why do you think it needs to be funnier like you know like it's a it's a horror comedy in you know in the genre but like Mm-hmm. that's just because you have to describe it, I guess, with some words in order to yeah, market yeah. the movie. Oh, yeah. But yeah, but I think that like the film and you were talking about, you know, some of the like artistic inspirations of this and you even brought up like Amadeus. I think that the film is also talking about the things that inspire art and things mm-hmm. that are created in art. And you had mentioned the NPR thing. It reminds me of that painting the the like the Saturn devouring his son mm-hmm. where it's like something that is studied in in school and you know uh you know very uh, uh well appreciated uh painting but it's also like horrifying and super disturbing and if you were to portray that exact same thing in a horror movie then people would say it's just 
you know, dribble and smut and, you know, how dare you show something like that in on, you know, in a movie. But if it's on a painting, it's fine. You know, so I think it's yeah, I think it's this weird sort of modge podge of ideas and also talking about uh, uh, ableism and artistry and horror movies and, you know, what inspires art. There's like so many things going on here. It's it really is like this potato salad of themes it's fascinating it shouldn't all work together but it does for some reason yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean it, it's it, it's a recurring motif throughout too like you know just like interpretation of art you know or and expectations mm-hmm. of that you know because again you know lars is you know moving there to to be a teacher and um you know the first thing that people expect is like oh yeah you're coming here because uh, you're looking for that inspiration right and you're going to be painting and you're going to start doing this and like people just already have um, you know, all these expectations of what he should be doing there, what he is actually doing there. And um, and then, you know, and that kind of, you know, does weigh on him as well. And because uh, I do find myself particularly uh, compelled by Lars as a character. Um, you know, I like that um, we we never really we never hear what the accident was, but we know that it must have been very graphic. You know, we we hear that and then we hear that. You know, that's also a part of Eddie's past as well. You know, he had this horrific trauma when he was younger, uh, witnessing these, you know, very graphic, violent uh, uh, things happening with his parents. So uh, one can assume that, you know, Lars, uh, whatever his accident was, you know, might have been uh, on on a certain level like that. And I, I, I love that we never really get into it. And, and I love that, um, you know, the the. Uh, interpretation ex- and expectation of him as an artist too is uh, played with that you know we never see his paintings uh, we never see anyone's paintings uh, mm-hmm. like literally not true we actually the, well, well Eddie's uh, not to, well, not to interrupt you yeah the only person's art that we ever see in the movie we get like yeah. glimpses of the sculpture but Eddie's the only person mm-hmm. who's like art that we actually see and I think that there's like a reason probably budgetarily is like they have to hire a, a painter to yep. make a thing and a sculpture. And I'm sure that, you know, like, like Halloween ends when you actually show the art, sometimes it's like mm-hmm. they're getting paid to write that book, you know? Uh, but like, uh, I, I, not to interrupt what you were saying, Devon, but I, I think oh, it's yeah, an no, interesting that's, point. That's what but, I was getting yeah. at. Uh, like yeah. I found that like very fascinating uh, that, um, you know, it is just, but, but we, but, and it not only smart to get around the budgets, but I, I do love how it's just, you know, very fueled by, um, people's reactions to it. Uh, people kind of, uh, having these moments, you know, where, uh, they're ignoring all the bad shit that's happening. And then it is just, you know, for that moment about the art for a minute. And, uh, uh, I, so I, I, yeah, uh, again, find, uh, was very compelled by Lars as a character and his interactions with Eddie, you know, because they do just have a very wonderful uh, rapport and relationship between them, uh, which I just, like, appreciate so much. Uh, like, they are uh, both doing, you know, really great performances uh, with, uh, you know, slight little nuances um, to them, especially with, um, you know, Eddie being a mute cannibal as well. Mm-hmm. And it's worth noting, just for the for the people that are looking for an inroad into this film, you're like, oh, that sounds good, but, like, really, I'm a horror fan. What's, what's the thing that's going to hook me? All of Lars's backstory, which is hinted at and never explicitly stated, but kind of the fallout of Lars's backstory is all delivered in a really, really good cameo by Stephen McCaddy. And because Stephen McCaddy is in this uh, playing his agent who comes and like, you know, has a great scene where he talks about (laughs) what happened to Lars and how he found his muse and et cetera. uh, Because this movie also has Georgina Riley, it makes it something of a Pontypool reunion. Stephen McCaddy and Georgina O'Reilly, or oh. Georgina Riley. If you know your Pontypool, 
much beloved Canadian horror film from the past decade. That's uh, that's that's them. That's the two of them. <laughs> I, have, so, uh, I have not seen go, that movie coolers. yet, but I do know I know the movie you're talking about, but I have not watched it yet. Um, so I'm gonna have to throw it on throw it on the list because yeah, I, I do like uh this uh, the the little scene by the by the agent and uh you know him going into uh Lars needing to be inspired and uh you know mm-hmm. tells his like little backstory part and then you know he's um you know trying to reassure uh Lars by saying like hey I I once managed this one artist guy couldn't sculpt unless he emptied a, a bunch of chicken parts into a bathtub <laughs> he slapped himself silly and then he uh his delivery of hey I don't judge was phenomenal. Love that yeah, little scene. I, I think it's also, it reminds me, I'm trying to think of the actor. Um, maybe, uh, maybe some, uh, some listeners will, will know who I'm talking about, but I know that there is, there's a very famous kind of like old Hollywood actor who was in a movie with like a newer up and coming actor. And I, God, I wish the names, I'm, I have to look it up, but the, the newer actor was doing the method thing where they were really immersing themselves in the character and going through all these links to achieve this great performance. And then this, you know, other actor was like, why don't you just fucking act? Like, <laughs> why do you have to be so a lunatic and like go through all of these links to put some great performance out there when you can just do your job <laughs> it's it's uh it's marathon man and the it was they called out dustin hoffman my dear boy have you tried acting there you I go okay yep. okay excellent yeah oh, the, nice. yeah i'm glad you knew what i was talking about mm-hmm. yeah and it's kind mm-hmm. of the same thing of like poking fun at these actors who do all this crazy shit and it's just like aren't you a painter <laughs> and you're taking a bath in chicken you know Yep. Yeah, and, and and I love how that you know it one plays into you know Lars does start to get inspiration, um, whenever he learns of Eddie's secret that he sleepwalks at night and uh, uh eats uh well at first it's critters but then um again as uh as uh, Lars needs more he you know escalates it up to uh eating people, and um you know so yeah it is kind of uh definitely going into that like yeah like what what you know, stimulus you need. Uh, the idea of muses, you know, has always been a very complicated thing in, in art, you know, uh, whether it be like, you know, the nature of the relationship between an artist and a muse, uh, what it truly means. Uh, I like that uh, the movie does uh, play with that. Uh, you know, it, it, it's a nice switch up to, uh, uh, to do it in this way um, with somebody that one is, uh, you know, a very, uh, a person that, one the the it, uh, they make a nice case of you know like they are trying to protect Eddie they do know of these of certain of these things you know um so it like you know it plays into the way that the the town treats Eddie but then also uh the way that Lars is treating him as well um so yeah again like there's they're asking a lot of big questions in this tiny movie uh which yeah. I which I'm impressed with yeah, like I had mentioned, it it is it is small but mighty. Like it's not only small in its runtime, but it's like really swinging and doing some ambitious things that I just don't think. Again, maybe it's the title. Like it's such a schlocky B movie sounding title that when you watch it and it's got like this, you know, really surprising turn in it. And it's not. A, I don't mean like a Shyamalan twist or anything. It's just in its approach. It's such a unique flavor of a movie that I think it just maybe catches a lot of people off guard like if, I mean, if you but i don't want to give it that i don't want to keep giving people that that out with this name though because we definitely get eddie sleepwalking 
being a cannibal in multiple scenes. Like, it's not like you're True. not getting that. Like, you know, we get these, you know, scenes that are, uh, you know, uh, again, the, this actor putting on, you know, uh, a very great physical performance, the way he, like, kind of changes in the way that he's sleepwalking. Uh, and, you know, you want to talk about uh, small and mighty. Um, Eddie is not small, but he is mighty. He is shredded. I love that he is uh, sleepwalking yep. in his underwear because this dude has a fucking body on him. Jeez Louise. <laughs> well, let me put it like this. I think part of it is the state that you go into the movie, right? Like, if this is a movie where... and, and we've all been there, but this is the movie where basically like, Ooh, this sounds like fun. I'm going to go in a little fucked up. And then you watch this. You're basically like, Oh, Oh, that was way. I was not in the right headspace for this. Totally. So I think that, I think that that might be part of it is like, if you go in and you're like, you know, you're five or six beers deep and you're like, this is perfect. This is going to be like the way that I wind down for the evening. And then you're asked to think about like ableism and the nature of art and generate like trauma as it relates to performance and all this stuff. It's, it's just a lot. It's a lot to bite off. So if you go into this in the right, you're like ready to kind of grapple with this a little bit and knowing what to expect, that's great. But it's it's just that mindset of like, if you go into this and you're looking for escapism or you're looking for pure entertainment or, you know, you have pre-gamed before you watch the film, I think it's just, it's I think it's a movie that I hope a lot of people who wrote those reviews will go back and revisit when they're in like a little bit more of the right state of mind for what the film is going to be. Because I think... I think this belongs up there with the all-time horror comedies. And every time I see people talk about like what they didn't like about it, I'm just like, but there's so much going on. Like I get that it doesn't all work for you, but I can truly understand how some, you know, if it's 1230 on Friday night and you just got home and you're like, I want to watch something for an hour and a half and then go to sleep. Like this is not the movie for you. Right. No. Yeah. Um, I was just going to say as far as like the detractors, cause I've, I've talked really positive about positively about this movie, but still, I don't like love it in a weird way. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's, I think some of the influences of the film or maybe the influences that I'm maybe just bringing into it, or, uh, or I guess of what are like the, you know, the peers of a movie like this, I think of a director like Yorgos Lanthimos, who's able to do that, like cringe horror just people acting like aliens acting like people you know just that kind of dialogue that doesn't quite work that i i find a lot of really dark humor in like something like dog tooth or something like that i think that this film not that i think it should have that kind of energy but i think maybe it just would have been a little bit my more like more of my cup of tea you know i think it's the rare kind of movie though of like my I guess the things that I don't love about it are not necessarily like detractors that I think are some like objective faults with the movie it's just kind of like I don't know maybe I would have preferred it a little more if it did something like this and again it's just me kind of admitting like I'm not really meeting it at its you know where where it's at and just maybe more thinking of what I want it to be and I don't think that there's necessarily anything wrong with that I definitely still like the movie but I like it's weird like it has all of the ingredients to be a movie that i would love and that i would consider to be like Mm -hmm. my mount rushmore of like horror comedies but for me uh yeah i think it's in i'll just say to be one of my favorite horror comedies i think it maybe has to be uh you know great in both regards uh and i think that this is more of a drama of of anything like i don't think it's that much of a horror comedy i think it's a drama where a guy eats some people sometimes you know (laughs) yeah and i do find and like yeah and you know we talk on here about you know um you know getting on a movie's frequency you know and uh and it is just like kind of a a matter of taste because i think from because like you said like 
you're maybe expecting uh or seeing other people expecting more comedy me i'm like you know i think the comedy what little comedy is there can just like kind of go and if they did lean more into this uh heavier uh drama a little bit because it is like kind of it has a tenderness and a somberness to it that that uh that i appreciate um you know especially with eddie i think is um out of uh most of the movies that we're talking about this month i think is gonna end up being the most empathetic of the cannibals uh that that we talk about because you know he is not the one that is you know um you know the driven by this by this hunger and like that's not uh represented uh as something else that he's like dealing with like that we've uh, compared to some of the other Campbells that we're talking about versus, you know, he ends up at that point. Cause for what we know is like, and that, you know, that the town knows is like, yeah, he has slept walk before and it had been like some small animals. So for what we had known, he had not been into cannibalism, you know, like, so this is again, like at the fault of, you know, Lars, you know, kind of, uh, of exploiting him and exploiting his trust that he has for him and like kind of pushing him to this point and, uh, and does kind of go into this, you know, like a slightly heavier theme of, um, you know, the, the, the town, you know, not, you know, thinking they're acting in Eddie's best interests, you know, that they've, you know, just like kind of, uh, they've, you know, looked out for him and kept these secrets you know because like hey well i mean if somebody hears about this he's getting institutionalized but then they're doing it under the guise that they're looking out for eddie but it's also like no because if we look out for eddie his aunt had won the lottery and she's the one funding the art school you know so it's all this you know kind of you know eddie being uh you know exploited for his trauma in all these different ways uh which is um very very heartbreaking to see and um so it's like again like i kind of whenever i saw you know that this was a horror comedy i just like was more uh surprised at you know the 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 somber and tenderness of this film i will say that there is the the kind of the stinger or the kicker at the end of the film suggests that lars is not the only person who is exploited Eddie to artistic gain. And so it kind of casts, I think, the entire timber of the town into sort of like a Stephen King-esque doubt, right? Is this mm-hmm. town continuing to be successful because they're all taking turns becoming beautiful artists because of the the horrors that they kind of unleash on Eddie? I don't think the movie does more than just sort of like nod at that very carefully, but it's a fun thing to kind of like add into your head canon for the film, especially when, you know, Eddie shows his artwork of him and uh, Georgina Riley's character you know, also doing cannibalism stuff together at the end. And she's like, Eddie, it's, it's interesting. It adds a nice little flavor to it. Yeah. And uh, it's definitely me. Yes. Andy, in the movie, I don't even think that the movie is, uh, is trying to say this, but I'm also just like, yeah. And another thing, like I am just so sick and tired of like, quote unquote films, uh, especially Academy nominated films, like often just being about people with uh, some sort of disability, an actor, a prestigious one, probably, you know portrays this real life person and they get their golden statue and i'm just so sick of that being like if you don't do something like this or if you do something like this then it's like a a shoe-in for a nomination to where is Mm -hmm. people playing uh maybe you know uh, a more subdued performance or something uh, maybe a little more um naturalistic or doesn't require you know I, i just find those kind of performances and in, in those kind of movies to be frustrating and limiting uh, personally again don't think that the film is say, quite saying something like that yeah. but i'm just like and also this too right <laughs> 
Hey, if you're going to wade into those waters as a film, you you have to reap the conversations you sow, right? Like you For can't sure. have a character like Eddie and then not kind of like be willing to stand up and take criticisms about their performance or the conversations about the performance as well. It's sort of like, it's what you signed up for. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, you know, and, and again, like in, in the movie, uh, uh, it made me happy that, you know, um, that they did, you know, um, that we were able to empathize with Eddie as much as we are, because again, I was worried that the film was like, I was like, Oh, are they going to kind of do the, you know, person on the Mm -hmm. spectrum as a monster, you know, type deal. And it's like, well, no, like, you know, they definitely um, do a great job of, you know, bringing the empathy for Eddie, but then also, you know, showing Lars is, you know, as he kind of, you know, has these darker shades to him and like, you know, kind of showing him to be the monster of the film, uh, particularly, uh, it, in the scene, whenever, um, whenever he goes to look at Leslie's sculpture and, you know, and at first he is like, this is after they have had their date and everything. And like, um, she was, you know, very much inspired by that. So it, it got her to do the sculpture and he's taken aback by it. It's amazing and wonderful. But then whenever he's like, well, how did, how'd you come to this? And she's like, I don't know. I just, uh, you know, ran with it and, or I just winged it. And he's like, and his face drops and then he yep. just and then he goes into art snobbery mode and he get he gets so mean and this is the first yep. time we've really seen that from his character and it was like such a nice like sharp turn that I was like oh shit this guy is like he sucks like damn like what the hell um and again like you know calling out the thing of like he's like you didn't have to suffer anything no pain no trauma like and she's just like wait what and it's uh it's a it's a uh, really crazy scene but it's a nice like little pivot though as well yeah we've been a lot of the film sort of sets you up to think that maybe lars is a mozart that's lost his way and it turns out nope he's a salieri he is jealous of people's actual talent and will do whatever he can to make sure that he's sort of the last man standing on the artistic pile which you know adds complexity to him and makes him a little bit unlikable in a way that makes him a lot more approachable i think yeah definitely building on that idea of like he isn't our protagonist or the person that we should be rooting for it's this other person who because of these circumstances and being manipulated and, and, you know, mm-hmm. completely taken advantage of, uh, you know, our, our supposed protagonist really just, you know, uh, divulges into this monster in and of itself. So I would say in that sense, maybe a cannibal, maybe a, a trope of, or not a cannibal, maybe a, a cliche, maybe a trope of the genre um, and uh, take it for what you will. Maybe that works for you. Maybe it doesn't. Um, I don't know if I'm on necessarily either side of the fence, but I think it's definitely uh, a, a component, uh, an intentional aspect of the movie. Uh, it's just kind of, uh, you know, I, I guess to each their own. If somebody was just like, yeah, haven't seen that before, I, I, I would understand the criticism. But um, I, I don't think it doesn't not work for me but it also doesn't super compel me i think it's just uh i don't know i'm still i'm still undecided believe it or not mm. Mm. yeah well and uh so let's go into uh kind of some of the actual horror of the of the movie some of these uh scenes i like again like they take the same way with uh, a similar approach as we do with like the paintings like you know, until like, you know, they, they really hold out on us until the end of like actually showing like what Eddie's doing, you know, um, you know, so much of it is, you know, pl- throw, uh, you know, uh, hidden from sight, but then, uh, with, uh, using the, the visual comedy of, uh, these like bloody limbs and stuff. And, um, uh, 
I really uh, like that. And then it, it does kind of, you know, how that, the, the escalation of it is, you know, going from like, you know, small animals, uh, guys, not the doggo. God damn it. I know, uh, if, right? If, like, if, 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 like, I know people are triggered by this. Uh, so, so yes, unfortunately, they're uh, if if a, if a doggo getting eaten uh, is uh, gonna turn you away from this one, then you're gonna have to yep. sit this one out. I, I, oh. I will say uh, the, the the dog not only getting eaten was was very upsetting and was testing my my <laughs> ability to root for for poor Eddie here. But and also just like you were talking about, like the severed limbs on the ground. I have to wonder, did like Eddie go in here with a weapon of sorts, or is he? like brute force ripping these things off of their torsos and also like what are you doing man do you eat from the stump like or is it hey, like fried chicken where the skin is the enjoyable part like what is you know i've never eaten a human before and i feel like he's just wasting food come on man <laughs> <laughs> i mean from what we see in that like like we see like a, a little bit more event like that final you know he like has a full-on massacre of this like yeah. party that's going on and uh yeah he's just taking bites out of people i mean he's a he's a fucking tank like that dude is stacked he is definitely ripping people's arms off uh which yeah again wish we could have seen a little bit of that but of course you know uh probably did this for budgetary reasons um but uh, i yeah. will give I, I will give credit to, to dylan smith and devon i know you've already called out like what he's doing and how um how much fun he is in that character but when he is in cannibal mode uh, he is genuinely terrifying. Like he plays such a sweet character when when things are normal and like when he's awake. But like when he's asleep and killing, like what they do with his face and like the, the just mm -hmm. the vacancy in his eyes, he gives a hell of a monster performance um, when he gets to the business of massacring. I think it's a a, a very fun dual performance from Smith. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. like I mean, he it's it's kind of funny. It's like he like kind of has like a little Lou Ferrigno look. Uh, to him a little bit so like mm -hmm. kind of a little bruce banner hulk uh differences there but like yeah he does a really good job of like when obviously like when he's awake he's very quiet and uh you know he's this hulking man but like you know presents himself like very small and his eyes are very kind he has like such very kind uh sweet eyes and then yeah and then once he's in campbell mode like i mean he definitely like looks inhuman and like in and that's why i've kind of you know i've talked about you know with cannibals i kind of sometimes put them in like the the monster movie camp uh you know even though they are humans but they are um once you kind of pass that threshold you are you are kind of something else at that point you know so i yeah he is terrifying yeah, definitely, and not to continue to, to bring it up, but definitely a Boris Karloff-esque gentle yeah. giant. Like, I think of the the very infamous scene with the young girl and the flower to where he is this, like, kind, compassionate person, but in the next scene or the next moment, you know, committing these uh, terrible acts or something like that, or, you know, this, you're reminded, like, oh, yeah, this guy's a monster, or in this case, oh, yeah, this guy's a cannibal. He's, there he is, you know, <laughs> with blood and guts dripping from his mouth. <laughs> yeah, and the, and, uh, <clears throat> but I like that, um, you know, this is, again, they, they, um, you know, taking the, the starving artist to a literal sense that, you know, Eddie isn't driven uh, his cannibalism doesn't seem to be uh, driven by like a specific uh, hunger or taste for it. It just kind of seems, you know, again, he's sleepwalking. This is just uh, out of his control versus, um, you know, the, the person that has the, the true taste for it is, is Lars. Um, so it's a, a very uh, interesting uh, portrayal of um, some of the, some of the Campbells that uh, we've been talking about so far. 
Mm -hmm. Um, so to, uh, I guess we'll go ahead and uh, start wrapping things up here, uh, with our final thoughts and, uh, we'll do it out of, we'll do it out of five paintbrushes. Um, Matt, uh, go ahead and uh, give us your closing thoughts here on, uh, Eddie's sleepwalking cannibal. Yeah, I, um, man, I feel like I, I, I don't normally get to talk about this movie for all the reasons you guys have articulated. It's not one that comes up a lot in casual conversation, but, um, I would hope that listening to this episode would encourage a few people to go out and seek it out because one of the things that does have uh, in abundance is availability. It is available on Tubi. It is, I think, available on Freebie as well, um, or some of the other free platforms. You can check it out on Canopy, which is mm-hmm. the, the library card-driven platform. Um, it's just, it's not a movie that is difficult to find. And I feel like that Venn diagram of like movies that are underseen and worth seeing, but are also readily available. That doesn't, I feel like that doesn't happen a lot. Usually you get to choose one or the other. Like it's really good and you should see it, but it's nowhere or like it's everywhere (laughs) and you you, don't, don't worry, just don't add it to your your playlist. So that's hilarious. (laughs) uh, If I'm going to, I mean, if I'm going to give it, I I have to go the max number of uh, paintbrushes on my personal score, but that's just because, you know, I, I, to take it all the way back to the beginning of the conversation, sometimes when you revisit the stuff um, that you liked during important phases of your career or your life as a movie goer, uh, you find that your tastes have sort of changed or the things that you appreciated about it are different. And it's always sort of a bittersweet sensation to find a movie falling out of favor with you. And I think that Eddie the Sleepwalking Cannibal is one that continues to remain a horror favorite of mine, even after 10 years. Um, I, there are different pieces of it that, that still sing to me every time I watch it. And that's an increasingly rare occurrence. A lot of movies feel different, hit differently in my mid thirties, late thirties than they did in my mid and late twenties. Um, and I appreciate the movies that, that still, I feel some strong connection to. So five out of five. Hell yeah. What are you feeling Garrett? Yeah, Matt, I really appreciate your, your journey with this. And as someone who has had the pleasure to talk to filmmakers of movies that maybe, you know, didn't get as big of a release or anything like that. And being able to watch the film, knowing that you're going to talk to them, watch it through that artistic lens and then finding new appreciation, not only in talking to them and getting details about the film, but then also carrying in your own kind of personal baggage of like, no, this was like a, you know, a a milestone in my own personal career, my own journalist or my own, uh, 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 you know, uh, kind of tapestry of being a a journalist or or a broadcaster like yourself. So I, I really do appreciate that. And Uh, I'm glad that you were able to share it with us today. But yeah, I think this film for me is one that I would totally want to watch again. Uh, I definitely want to give this another chance. Not that it didn't work for me. I still like this, not to spoil my rating, but it's still uh, a positive score for me. Uh, I just, I, this has the ingredients of a film that I would love, but for some reason, maybe it's my own like you were talking about. I just did maybe go into it with the right headspace or was it in the right mood? Um, you know, uh, maybe that's the reason that this wasn't like a gangbusters win for me. Um, I'm still at 3.5 um, out of five paintbrushes. Uh, so I still liked the film. Uh, I just am not at that threshold to where I loved it. But I'll be honest, and and talking about it today, hearing your passion about the film, uh, I think I am teed up for a rewatch and being able to look for certain details or find new corners to appreciate in this. Um, so I could see this one growing for me. So right now, the, the seed is planted into the soil whether or not it will grow into this uh uh, you know tree of love (laughs) as it were remains to be seen but yeah right now i am at a 3.5 out of 5 nice nice and 
Um, I am between because, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of similar. Like, I like this. I feel like I am definitely going to uh, rewatch it at some point for sure. Um, and it's like, yeah, like, uh, if we're going to kind of go, maybe the, the, the painting analogies here, it's like, I like the, like the painting. I like the composition. Now, uh, the palette, the, the color palette might just be slightly off for me. Um, as far as like, uh, uh, you know, me enjoying a lot of the, the themes that they're exploring and the, the questions that they're asking and, uh, and a lot of the, the character work and, uh, and, you know, mixing in, you know, again, like, uh, this, you know, the, the small town drama of it all um works really well um and then um but then again like yeah just tonally uh not exactly on um you know where I would have you know taken this or where I would have wanted to see it uh you know go tonally um but I did find myself very compelled though uh for sure mm -hmm. and uh and the, the the gore uh that we do get definitely works we do get some uh, uh definitely some you know very good monster sequences in this for sure um, so three and a half might be a four. I'm not sure. It's, it's, it's in there. Uh, three and a, uh, I'll probably say three and a half. I'll probably say three and a half, but I'll, on a second watch, it'll probably bump up to a four most likely. Yeah. I really love movies like that though, to where you watch this and you're just like, I'm intrigued, you know, like, yeah, it's yeah. like you, you didn't yeah. maybe didn't love it quite as much or there, I mean, I, maybe it's just because I've seen so many films, particularly newer ones, where you're just like, yeah, well, that was a movie anyway, you know, or you see something on the other end that you absolutely loved and you don't have that the need really to even gestate on it. So to see a film where you're like, I kind of need to think about that and I kind of need to let it stew a little bit, I, I think is exciting. So, yeah. Oh yeah, you guys know me. I love rewatching stuff. So and uh, and my uh, opinions uh, change accordingly throughout them as we got into last episode with uh, the Neon Demon. So uh, who knows where uh, Eddie Sleepwalking Campbell will uh, land in the future? But let's go ahead and uh, talk about some other movies uh, that we were thinking as far as inspirations here uh, for Eddie the Sleepwalking Cannibal. Here on the Spectre Cinema Club, we like to end all of our episodes playing a fun game. Uh, it's called Movie Math. Uh, Matt, the rules are simple. You just have to take a couple of the movies uh, that reminded you of this film uh, and put them together in, a, in an equation. Uh, you can either add, multiply, divide, subtract, whatever you want to do. It just has to equal the movie that we talked about today. So you already talked about some of the movies that may be in your equation. Uh, so I'm curious to see what the others are. Yeah, can I, I, I'd like to put a little bit of a twist on this, if that's okay, just because I have been, in my day job, I've been mucking around with some AI writing tools where you basically put in blocks of text and you add some, like, some prompts and it spits back, like, interestingly complex content at you. So what I'm thinking I would kind of do is I would take, to use, like, the AI writing tool thing, I would put in the scripts for Amadeus, Of Mice and Men, and Fargo, and then my prompt would be to write Little Shop of Horrors. And I think that this is the movie that would result from that. Because yeah. I think it would take like the musical pieces from Amadeus, like the, the art artist tension of that. I think of Mice and Men kind of captures the relationship between the two characters. And Lars is sort of like the one that's exploiting the other character. Definitely has the droll sort of small town wintry vibes of Fargo. But it is it has sort of the sweet, gentle comedy of Little Shop of Horrors as well. So I think if I were to, t to teach an AI to do all of that, it might come up with something that looks a lot like Eddie the Sleepwalking Cannibal. 
Matt is no longer allowed back on the show because uh, that really, I was like, fuck, that's such a good one, is of Mice and Men. Like, I can't <laughs> believe I didn't think of that. Uh, so that is an excellent poll. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, and I like uh, I like uh, you're you're updating us, you're modernizing. We're gonna have to steal your AI calculator uh, that you, uh, that you're doing with movie map Please, here. But I love that. I love adding in a, a a nice little different wrinkle in there. Yeah, um, fun fact: uh, Black Adam, the first movie ever written completely by AI. Believe it or not. <laughs> true story. <laughs> uh, yeah, for my equation, um, uh, some of my choices are uh, for some plot reasons uh, and some. Uh, uh, subject matter reasons and then the others are just kind of tone Devon and I like to use the multiplication for kind of like you know vibes uh, the, the the times equals the the vibes so uh, for plot reasons and and subject matter stuff I have the devil's candy uh, as far as an artist being influenced by uh, more macabre things and that influencing the way in which they create their art and the art that they create in and of itself, uh, requiring that sense of inspiration in a way. Um, and then there's also like multiple scenes in this movie to where it's just like intense painting, you know, yeah. uh, which is great. Uh, just like zooming in on the, the character's face and just watching them, you know, brushstroke. Uh, so you have that and then multiplied and again for vibe, but also, and now that I'm thinking about it, also some, some subject matter stuff too, uh, and definitely some thematic stuff as well. Uh, I have Lars and the real girl. Um, obviously mm. there are two <laughs> Lars there, but you also have this small town, this you know kind of socially awkward uh eddie's not necessarily socially awkward but kind of this social pariah in this uh, uh in this small town an outcast if you will someone who isn't terribly popular um who is uh misunderstood but then eventually is maybe recognized as maybe not the person that you should be uh afraid of think is odd think is weird uh, and uh, maybe should try to help or to try to, to try to understand this person. So, um, yeah, I think you you multiply those together. And this is a very like if you were to tell me this equation before having seen this movie, I'd be like, what the fuck is that movie? And I think that that about accurately describes my reaction to Eddie the Sleepwalking Cannibal is like, what the fuck was that movie? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, Devil's Candy, uh, definitely see a, a lot of shades of that one in this one. Uh, Ethan Embry in that one, though, one of the hottest horror daddies of all time. <laughs> just got to just gotta shout that out. Um, and uh, I, I have uh, another movie, uh, that or two movies that uh, play off of that similar, um, you know, the, the, the artist being influenced by, you know, pain, violence, trauma, all these things. Uh, one of them, or actually, I think they're actually both uh, Shutter exclusives. Uh, one is Bliss. Um, um, uh, that's a uh, Joe Bagos film, I believe, and um, you know, it uh, has a. Uh, she's uh, not a cannibal, but kind of a vampire of sorts, um, and has these. Uh, you know, it goes into uh, themes of addiction and you know pain influencing art and like you know needing, uh, you know, feeling that the pressure that you need that. And uh, the, the the links that she uh, goes to it for in that. Uh, I have that divided by random acts of violence, um, which, yeah, another Shutter exclusive. And it's about like mm. a comic book artist that uh, writes this like super gory horror thing. But it's like, you know, you find out that's influenced by some trauma he uh, experienced as a kid. 
uh, and it kind of it, it that movie is a, a very frustrating movie in that like it, it takes some of these like you know themes that would be interesting but like it's it's such a mess of a movie uh, and is like 40 minutes longer than this movie but you know does it go into any of the depth that this uh, film does as far as uh, some of those themes uh, go and I, I'm dividing those two because this movie does not have uh, that that you know that neon kind of style that those two movies have to mm-hmm. them um, and definitely not as not as violent as a random act random acts of violence but then also not as stylish as something like bliss um, so I do have that multiplied for um, the tone uh, by uh, the movie Frank. Um, came out in, I believe, 2014 uh, with uh, Donald Gleason, Michael Fassbender. And uh, Donald Gleason's character, he's this guy and uh, just uh, very uninspired in life. But then he meets this band led by this eccentric singer. Um, and, you know, and, and at first it comes off as like, oh, yeah, this is very sweet. Like he's, you know, inspired and he's learning from them and he's, you know, changing his life around. But then you kind of as the movie goes on, you kind of see that the band is kind of exploiting Frank in a way he is a guy that is obviously like not mentally well but they kind of rather than getting him help they kind of just keep pushing him to keep making this music you know because you know but they're you know but they're praising him and being like no 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 like this is all great like and um so it kind of has some of that but also um the the tone as far as uh some of the 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 dry comedy and um and uh and even the way that the music is used um in in uh eddie sleepwalking campbell uh shout out to the score because i like how it, it would uh uh vastly shift from like on um, these like you know whimsical tones but then go into these like very dramatic horror uh elements to it so um yeah so that would be my equation there uh those uh bliss and random acts uh bliss bliss divided by random acts of violence uh multiplied by frank yeah. I love that you've brought in Random Acts of Violence because I seen that saw that film years ago and I still can't decide if it's the most I've ever liked a movie I didn't like or the most I didn't like a movie I've ever liked. It's definitely <laughs> one of those two, but I don't know which it is and I haven't been able to figure it out. It was a perplexing watch for sure. So yeah. I, I understand exactly what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, but that is Eddie's The Sleepwalking Cannibal. So make sure you guys uh, go seek that one out. Uh, thank you for bringing that to us, Matt. We appreciate it because, um, again, that is uh, kind of your bread and butter on Certified Forgotten. So uh, go ahead and tell people about the podcast and uh, where they can find you. Yes, you can find our podcast everywhere podcasts are bought, sold, and delivered. Um, if you do like it, please leave a review because that's always the hardest part of running a podcast. Uh, but we definitely, we talk about films that have 10 or fewer reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, and that's sort of an arbitrary marker that we've used that gives us an opportunity to talk about things that might fall below the radar of other podcasts. So we bring in guests from all across the film industry, very, very similar to the work that you guys do here. Um, but our goal is basically to have people bring the stuff that they saw once, that they loved, that fell through the cracks, that they still want to talk about. And I've seen, honestly, some of my favorite horror movies because of what our guests on Certified Forgotten have brought us, that just like complete curiosities that you never would, you know, things that just DOV releases from 2012 that just never saw the light of day. It's such a fascinating part of film delivery in this post-digital era where everything is sort of like on an equal footing and so so much stuff just sort of fades into the background. Mm-hmm. Too many choices, but that's what we're there for. It's Certified Forgotten is to try and help you narrow those choices down a bit. Yeah, great work on the podcast and the website. So I will have uh, show li- uh, links to that in the show notes. Uh, Garrett, what are you working on right now? 
Yeah, uh, thanks so much, Matt, for coming. You guys really are doing the the Lord's work over there. That's re- that's really uh, just a, such a cool, unique idea for a podcast and uh, a ballsy one too. Of like, we're gonna make a podcast of movies nobody's talking about. Uh, so yeah. I, I really admire that. That's 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 really awesome. But not um, a great business model for all you aspiring <laughs> podcasters out there. It, it turns out if you talk about movies nobody's ever heard of, nobody comes looking for your episodes. But we're committed. Yes, I hope I, I hope uh, uh, you guys uh, gain an, an awesome listener and a, a, a robust one at that uh and Thank yeah I, I just think that that's great as a big fan of, of independent films myself and in indie horror i just i think that that's really awesome but um yeah you guys can find me uh on twitter as long as that's going to be a thing uh, <laughs> uh tiktok and letterboxd uh, just at garrett mcdowell uh, but if you want some more podcast stuff for your ears, uh, I have a Star Wars podcast with my buddy Noah called the Scum and Villainy Podcast. Uh, so we'd love to uh, have you on over there. You can give us a follow uh, on Twitter, Scum Villain Pod. Um, we'd love to uh, love to have you. Yes, yes, and of course, links to all of that. We have those, and you can find me as always on uh, Instagram and Twitter at underscore daddy disco doing the same old things and letterboxd of course as well um recently i did a daily horror habit we talked the cleansing hour over there with jay um as we talked uh some more uh shutter exclusives you know love shutter not sponsored yet by them but we'll take it we'll take it um (laughs) and uh so you can go check out that episode you can also listen to uh, the church of tarantino podcast where uh we broke down uh one of the scenes from the hateful eight so you can go uh find those things you can also hear me make an appearance on the scarred for life podcast that is the show hosted by friends of specter cinema club terry and mary beth and it is a show where you go on and talk about a film that scarred you as a kid and then uh we take a retroactive look on that as adults and I talked about Jumanji, and we had some great laughs. We uh, got vulnerable and introspective. Uh, it was a very fantastic conversation, so make sure you guys go check that out. But now go ahead and do it for this week's episode of the Spectre Cinema Club. New episodes drop every Tuesday. Subscribe to not miss a thing. You can follow us on social media at Spectre Cinema on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, leave us five stars, a nice little review. We appreciate you. But until next time, guys, stay lifted. <laughs>